is Molly Full Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, bro with a capital B, personal <laughs> finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Hello, bro. Well, hello, everybody. In this week's episode, we're going to help you get a new job with the help of Motley Fool's ace recruiting team. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro. What's up? Oh, I might have a few things for you, Allison. In fact, I have three things. Oh, I love it when there are three. (laughs) Number one, get a raise, fall behind. Well, so maybe at the end of 2019 or the beginning of this year, you got a raise. Or maybe you listened to one of our episodes about how to ask for a raise, and it worked. Or maybe you'll listen to today's episode, get a new job, and make more money. However it happens, earning more is always a good thing, right? Right. That's the whole premise of why we're doing this episode. Are you trying to undermine this episode? Well, don't blame me. Blame a new report from Morningstar, which is entitled, More Money, More Problems, How to Keep a Bigger Paycheck from Spoiling Retirement. So here's the problem. So according to their research, most people don't increase their savings rates after they get a raise. What do they instead do? Increase their lifestyle (laughs) so they go out to eat a little bit more, buy nicer cars, get a bigger house. As the report put it, quote, yesterday's indulgences become today's new normal and tomorrow's expectations, end quote. In other words, lifestyle creep, right? The problem is the more you increase the cost of your lifestyle, the more you have to have saved to replace that lifestyle in retirement because that's what people want to do. They want to maintain their lifestyle. Nobody wants to cut back when they retire. Um, so, the report included an analysis, a hypothetical analysis of someone who earns $100,000 a year, saves 11% of their income, and is on track to have enough saved for retirement. But then they get a huge raise 20% raise, they make $120,000. Good news, right? Um, except that they don't, well, so they are saving more. They're going to continue saving 11% of that salary. So, they are saving more on absolute dollar terms, but it's not enough to make up for the increase. In their lifestyle. So that person who was at $100,000 on track to retire with enough money now is falling behind. So the question is then, how much should you be increasing your savings rate every time you get a raise? They actually offered three guidelines and analyzed which one was best. So, number one, spend twice your years to retirement. So, let's say you're 20 years from your retirement. Two times 20 is 40. You could spend 40% of that raise, but you should be saving an additional, that extra 60%. Um, number two was save your age as a percentage of the raise. So if you're 45 years old, just as an example, you should save 45% of the raise and you could spend the rest. And then another was just flat. You should always save at least 33% of your raise. Which one came out the best in most scenarios? That was the first one. Spend twice your years to retirement. Uh, and the Save Your Age guideline also worked for people who were 45 or younger. And both of those demonstrate that actually the older you are, the more of your raise you should be saving because you have less time for that money to grow to make up for the increase in your lifestyle. But of course, dear answers listener, your situation is unique because you're just so darn special and all that. So the report made a point that I often make, and that is because your situation is individualized, if you get a big raise, it actually might be a good time to see a fee-only financial planner to analyze how much of it you should be banking. Because after all, if you're really behind in your retirement savings, maybe you should be saving all of it. Number two, let the good times and the credit roll. So the economy is generally doing pretty well these days. Um, unemployment rate actually ticked up a little bit last month to 3.6%, but it's still pretty low. 
In 2019, GDP growth was 2.3%. That's actually down from 2.9% in 2018. Still pretty good. And the stock market is at all-time highs. Uh, so, what are people doing with the economy going so well? Piling on more and more credit card debt. And I just don't understand this. But anyways, according to the most recent figures from the Federal Reserve, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, total credit card balances increased to $930 billion as of the end of 2019, all-time high, well above the previous peak seen before the 2008 crisis. More troubling is that the amount of debt in serious delinquency, that is 90 days or more late, rose to 5.32%, the highest level in almost eight years. And for younger folks, those who are aged 18 to 29, the delinquency rate is 9.36%, and that is the highest in more than nine years. And this is something that I just always found sort of interesting and, and frankly perplexing. You would think that debt would go up during a recession, but then as the economy recovers, debt would go down. But really, the opposite happens. Um, the Journal article quoted a vice president at the New York Fed by the name of Wilbert Vanderclaw as saying, quote, <laughs> The most New York Fed name ever. <laughs> Wilbert Vanderclaw said, quote, There are increases in credit card delinquency rate that make you wonder whether some parts of the population are not doing so well or whether this is just a result of more relaxed lending standards. It's something we are looking into. So I guess the Fed is as perplexed as I am mm. about how this is happening. Anyways, and finally, number three, nothing gold can pay for higher prices. And in case you didn't know, that's a reference to a Robert Frost poem. Anyone see The Outsiders, the classic 1983 movie? Okay, never mind. Anyways, we invest today in order to buy something in the future. The thing is, that thing in the future will probably cost more than it does today. So our portfolio has to keep up with inflation. One thing that many people still think is an inflation hedge is gold. But as recently pointed out by Eddie Elfenbein on his Crossing Wall Street blog, January 21st marked the 40-year anniversary of the peak of the gold price, at least as adjusted for inflation. So in January of 1980, gold hit a price of $843, and then it just kept going down and down until by the late 90s, it was only about $250. It did come back up to almost $1,900 in 2011, but right now it is at about $1,500. So, on a pure price perspective, gold has doubled over 40 years. Unfortunately, the cost of living has tripled over that time. So, right now, on an inflation-adjusted basis, gold is still 30% below its 1980 peak. So, just keep that in mind the next time you see an article or an ad saying that gold is an inflation hedge. And that, Allison, is what's up. So, bro, I have something that's up. What's up? Well, what's up is that we are going to survey our listeners. And so, if you're listening right now, we would love to hear from you. No matter how often you listen to the podcast, if you listen to all of them or just ours, uh, we would love for you to head to the show notes and there will be a link there that will take you to a survey. Uh, and we ask that you take it so we can make this show better and learn more about you. Uh, please, won't you? Again, the link is in the show notes. And that bro is what's also up. So one of the biggest factors of your wealth is, of course, your salary and how much money you're bringing in. Being awesome at your current job tends to get you raises of about 3 to 5% on average. But changing jobs can mean pay bumps of 10%, 20%, or more. So we brought in a couple of recruiters from our very own Motley Fool recruiting team with their advice on how to find a new job. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. So we have Dan Ijigu and we have Rachel Koslow. 
glad to be here. So excited to be here. Okay. So, <laughs> you two, fun fact, recently got a new job here at The Motley Fool. So, this topic today is going to hit pretty close to home. Yeah. Uh, about two weeks apart, I think, we started. So, yeah, we've been, this is month five for us here at The Fool. Still yep. like it? Still here. Okay. <laughs> Still All right. here. Never a dull moment. So, Dan, how did you end up here at The Fool? Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, I was a, I was a bit unhappy in my last role. Reached out to an agency, uh, and they actually lined up an interview with the Fool. Uh, they actually lined up a, a series of interviews, and after I, I, I met with the Fool, I actually kindly asked them to cancel all the other interviews. Did you really? Yeah, and see if if this works out. I, I accept on the spot. But now that I know I could have gotten a thirty percent increase, I should have held out. <laughs> Too late, buddy. <laughs> Um, and I landed at The Fool. Um, my, my last company that I worked for went public when I was there. Um, so I've been a follower of The Fool for, for quite some time, just not really understanding when I went through that process, like what it all meant for me personally. Um, and then I moved to D.C. about two years ago um, and kept a close watch kind of on job openings. Um, found an open position for the recruiter over the summer um, and was really excited to, to join the team. Yeah, and it is a great team of people. I'm lucky I get to sit close to you guys and... I don't know. We talk sometimes. We joke. We have fun. It's never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. All right, so let's get into it. If you want to find a new job, of course, that first step is going to be landing that interview. So you guys suggest starting with your network. Yes. um, Leveraging a lot of the job boards, especially LinkedIn in particular, um, do your due diligence. It gives you great insights into companies. Um, You'll get to see the life tab, you'll get a chance to connect with with folks that work there and and feel free to send an outreach. As many touch points as you can get, it's only going to be more beneficial uh, the more you're in front of us. And and again, uh, it may deter you from applying certain places if you take a look at at kind of their life tab, uh, get a sense of retention through LinkedIn, and and it it helps you make a more informed decision uh, and it gives you a little bit more insight than just a, a job description would. I would add, um, you know, leverage your network. So see who you're connected to on LinkedIn. See who they are connected to. Um, a lot of companies look to referrals and actually, in fact, prioritize referrals when they are screening um, and interviewing candidates. So um, see who you're connected to. Reach out to people. Um, make those connections um, and uh, try your best to get in front of the recruiting team as soon as you can. One thing I hate here at the Molly Fool is because the Molly Fool has such a reputation for being a great. Place Place to work. I don't know how often this happens to you guys, but I'll get emails from people being like, hey, I'm thinking about working at The Motley Fool, wondering if we can get a cup of coffee. And I'm like, ugh. And it's just so, fr- I hate getting those emails. I, I get those every once in a while. Right? Too, and then you're like, seriously, I have to take time out of my day to go out with you for coffee for you to like basically make the case that you need to work at The Fool. Or you're like, I just want to learn about what it's, what it's like at The Fool and if maybe it'd be a good fit for me. Ugh. Am I wrong in feeling that way? Well, You're heartless. Is really what the point is. Ninety percent of our jobs. So. <laughs> but I mean, that is your job, it right? Is. It's yeah, not it my job. It's yes. not my. I mean, and yes, when people reach out to me and they're like, "Here's my resume. Can you pass it along?" I yeah. pass their resume along. But right. I hate the "Let's go get coffee" so I can hear more about what it's like to work at the Molly. But pool. that is part of the yeah. network, right? Like I got I, someone reached out to me just because we went to the same college. And I, I haven't responded yet, but I thought about it. No, no, I'll probably respond at some point. You thought, well, at least you thought well, about so, it. I mean, there, on one hand, you're like, well, I don't think anyone should get a job just because of a connection. On the other hand, 
there is something to giving someone a leg up and, and the affinity you have with people who went to your college and stuff like that. Yeah, I would say that if you are planning to reach out to people who um, you don't necessarily know and ask for some type of introduction or referral, um, finding commonalities like we went to the same school, um, we used to work at XYZ company, I think can be really helpful in just like making that connection and kind of incentivizing them to, to want to, to help you out. Yeah, be deliberate with your messaging too, right? Um, instead of just working at the full, go through our careers page, find roles that are applicable to you, make sure you include your, your resume and cover letter so it's not just this, hey, I'm super interested in The Fool because I think it's a fun place to work, right? right. Uh, you have to add a little bit more value than that. Yeah, well, that takes us on to our next point, is tailoring your resume and cover letter um, and making sure that you are doing just that. So what's some of your best advice around making sure that your resume and your cover letter really are your best pitch? You should be willing to update your resume and cover letter for each and every job that you apply to. Um, so you should very carefully and thoroughly read through job descriptions, um, see what their top like two or three kind of bullet points or, or takeaways for the role are, um, and then make sure that you're really highlighting those in your in your resume and your cover letter. Um, to the extent that you can, I also always encourage candidates to use data points um, in their resume to tell the story around kind of how and why they hit the qualifications for the role. Um, and then the last piece of advice that I always like to share is you don't necessarily need to hit every single qualification in order to apply to a role. So don't let that discourage you if you don't have the specific, um, you know, skill sets, um, if you don't check every single box or you don't match um, the years of experience that they're looking for, because oftentimes hiring teams are much more open than their job description would indicate. Yeah. It used to be the rules for doing your resume where it needs to be all on one page. It needs to be uh, pretty boring looking. It needs to be like, what was your most recent job? What was your job before that? What was your job before that? Where'd you go to school? Um, and it feels like there's much more wiggle room in how you can showcase who you are and how you do your resume these days. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's no one size fits all approach to your resume anymore. Kind of like Rachel touched on, for each role, you you have to make it very deliberate. Uh, we look at every resume. Um, so every resume that, that we get in. So we have about a minute to digest it. And if you're not really hitting those points, it, it's hard for us to keep our attention and retain our attention to your resume. So making sure you're highlighting the lines that are the points that are applicable to the role that you would be doing. And if you don't have that, that your cover letter is your opportunity to, to, to kind of tell your story and show a little bit more of your personality. How much personality is too personality? Too much? Have you received some cover letters where it was like, "Whoa, easy there." Uh, <laughs> That's too much. Turn it down a notch. <laughs> See, might have been you or Cheryl. I know somebody sent, and I've seen these cover letters where they'll introduce themselves as your next hire, just like right off the bat, like. Uh, that, that's about the extent of it, but I don't think you can have too much personality at The Fool. So, What about other places, though? Because I do think about that. At The Fool, we're a little offbeat. But right. what about if you are applying to a standard accounting firm or a government contractor or something like that? Not that you're not interesting people, just yeah. saying, but it's a more standard job. How do you gauge what, what you should do to make yourself stand out without seeming too much like a kook? Do your research on the company to... to best extent that, that you can, uh, I would suggest you probably tone it down going from the full to, to another company, right? Uh, but this, 
again, those job boards give you a lot of insight into what company cultures look like now, right? So it's a little bit more due diligence on your end. But as long as you do it, you can kind of get a sense of what the culture is like, what the company is like, and just kind of tailor your cover letter to, to that, right? So you look at our Glassdoor, our LinkedIn, and you know that we are a bit off, right? So you can, <laughs> In the you can, best of ways. Yeah, so you can show a little bit more of your personality. But, you know, if it's a public accounting firm, you probably don't want to use the same cover letter that you used at The Fool. I'll add this. Several years ago, um, someone applied for the editorial team, and they sent in a tape of their stand-up act. <gasps> so the managing editor thought, hey, let's watch the stand during one of the meetings, and it was raunchy. The managing editor just <laughs> leapt to the TV and turned it off because it went too far. <laughs> 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 so you can't go too far. All right, so once you've sent in your resume and your cover letter, we talked about this a bit at the top, though, um, making sure you're having lots of touch points and reaching out and connecting with as many people as possible. Again, I'm like, oh, that sounds annoying. Like, at what point are you making yourself annoying? When you're reaching out on LinkedIn and you're following them on Twitter and you're like, hey, Rachel, hey, Dan, hey, what's up? I applied for this position. I think I'm really great. And you guys are okay with that? A little emotional intelligence is, is needed, right? So if you're not getting, if you're not, you know, it's been a, a week or so and you haven't gotten a reply, an additional touch point probably isn't going to move the needle. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, uh, I know that our inboxes can get a little bit flooded. So you, you might not get a response right away. But if you're reaching out four or five times without a response, that's it's probably a bad sign. Yeah. And I think it's also just about having... If you are going to have multiple touch points, then showing that you care, showing that you're super excited about the company. Um, I had a candidate who um, we recently hired here at The Fool, um, and she had reached out to me on LinkedIn to try to flag, flag her application for the team. Um, so the second that I got her message, I, of course, went to her cover letter and her resume in our um, internal recruiting system. Um, and as her cover letter, she had included like a wonderful note and then a photo of her in a, in a Motley Fool jester cap, which was pretty cool. Mm. Immediately caught our attention. Um, and the hiring manager and I were super excited to just like see that level of engagement. So... Um, as Dan kind of mentioned earlier, just making sure that you're not just sending kind of blanket outreaches. You're really taking the time to show your your passion and enthusiasm. All right. Well, guess what? We got the interview. Yay! Yay! Our cover letter and resume were so great, uh, and we're, we're all set up. We're going to go meet with them on Tuesday. So, or maybe it's a phone interview, right? We do a lot of those too. We do. We do. Um, we have a bit of a gauntlet to get through at times to get a job. Yeah, we beat you up a bit. It, it is a bit rigorous. <laughs> in, uh, in a good way. In a in good a, way. In, in a but, good way. But given the kind of you know the autonomy and the trust that you get here at the Fool, I think a lot of it is because you know we, we do take you through a pretty long uh, process. So once you're in your seat, you know there's very much a lack of micromanagement because we've you know we've really gotten a sense of, of your work. Mm-hmm. All right. So we got the we have the interview lined up. First step. Do our research. Yes, do your due diligence. There are so many different ways and different outlets to research a company, whether it's Glassdoor, whether it's Indeed, LinkedIn, Google reviews, whatever it is. Um, Looking through different people's uh, LinkedIn profiles and getting a sense of retention, um, there isn't, there, you can't do too much in, in terms of research for a company. Um, and I think it's also helpful to just like 
practice and rehearse. I know a lot of people, I even certainly did this when I was um, preparing to come in to interview at The Fool, um, will stand in front of a mirror um, and kind of work through like, why this company, why this role. A lot of companies will also ask behavioral questions. So tell me about a time when you improved a process or built something out from scratch um, or worked with cross-functional stakeholders. Um, And it's very easy to kind of have those experiences in mind coming into an interview um, so that you can kind of work the team through um, that. So um, yeah, I always encourage folks to practice and rehearse, but kind of don't don't let it overwhelm you um, and don't overthink it. Yeah. And you said that like often you'll get questions that are have this questions using the STAR method. I haven't heard of this before. Yes. So the STAR method um, means uh, situation, task, action, and result. Um, so in a type of scenario where uh, an interviewer is asking you to tell them about a time that you improved a process, you would essentially walk them through in that order um, your particular experience. And it's just a really helpful framework for thinking through like how you can very clearly articulate um, that particular situation um, and the outcome. What do you think are some of, so you said, uh, tell me about a time when you've had to work through a process. What are some other common questions you should work through in your mind? Why are you interested? What, is there something missing from your current role that you know, you're, you're exploring others? Um, I think also, like especially at companies like The Fool, um, you know, so much of the work that you're doing on a day-to-day basis is super cross-functional in nature. So your ability to work well with other teams across the business is so important. So um, you know, you would probably get questions around how you've um, managed those cross-functional relationships. Have you ever um, like worked in a scenario where um, timeline or kind of priorities weren't necessarily clear, um, especially when they involve multiple teams and how you work to kind of get to a solution. Um, I think those are kind of the the common ones that I've seen. Do you have any favorite questions that you've learned since coming to The Fool that you're, because I know you sit in on other interviews. Do you ever look at another Fool and be like, dang, that was a good question for our candidate? (laughs) Annie Healy asked this question of candidates that I love, where she'll ask them to give them a bit of feedback that they've received and accepted. Uh, And then on the flip side, uh, she'll ask them, give me a time you've received some feedback and chosen to reject it. Uh, I love that question. I've stolen that question from her. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Not only are you going to be asked a lot of questions, but you also need to be prepared to ask a lot of questions, too. So what questions should you ask in a job interview? Yeah, um, so I think it's it's really helpful um, for... Essentially, you have to ask questions in order to get the information that you need to to figure out if a role is a good mutual fit. So I think for some candidates, asking questions at the end of an interview can be a little bit of an afterthought. Um, So I like to encourage candidates to come prepared um, with questions for the team about kind of the the day-to-day of the role, why they love working at the company, um, kind of what the main priorities are, um, how this person will get ramped up and onboarded and set up for success. Um, I think those are all all interesting questions to, to focus on. Um, also comp. When do you start talking asking about comp and salary ranges and all of that? So we, we talk about it on the front end with your recruiter. You, you never want to get into a position where both the candidate and the employer are excited about someone, uh, and then you're just misaligned in terms of comp. So address comp as soon as you can. I know it can be a bit uncomfortable for, for some folks, but the quicker you get through it, the easier the rest of the process is. 
if you don't necessarily feel uh, comfortable sharing your salary with the recruiter when they ask you usually during that initial call, like you can feel free to just ask them for the range. Mm-hmm. Again, just to make sure that you're in the same ballpark. Yeah. Um, so do you have any advice for how to answer a particularly tough question? So sometimes tech companies like to ask weird, wonky questions like how many golf balls can you fit into a plane? Uh, do you have any <laughs> advice for how to kind of address those questions that come out of nowhere? Be thoughtful. Be able to show your thinking. Um, try to articulate it out loud why you're approaching the problem in the way that you are. I think uh, some companies that a- that ask those types of questions are really just looking for like your thought process. Even if you don't get the right answer, they just want to see how you're getting to where where you ultimately land. Okay, the interview's over. Now what? Send thank you notes. To the team. So old-fashioned, but so <laughs> classic, right? Yeah, so usually just over email is, is totally fine, because by the time that snail mail shows up, um, the interview's already long gone. <laughs> it be embarrassing, too. Um, yes, yeah. yeah, so um, send thank you notes to, to your recruiter, who can then pass them along to the team. Make them as personal as, as you can for um, each individual team member that you met with. If you can touch on one or two things from the interview, especially takeaways that you had, include those, but thank you letters will, will go a long way. Yeah. All right. So let's say we got the job. All right. So what do we do if we get the offer? Play hardball, right? Yep. Yes. Yes. There's usually at least some wiggle room. Not at the Motley Fool, of course. (laughs) That's our last offer. (laughs) It can't hurt to ask. Um, But what I always encourage candidates to do is like be very upfront with your with your recruiter and transparent about like what it is that is most important to you. There are usually levers that you can pull, um, but whether that is salary or equity or benefits or flexibility, um, you want to make it really clear to, to them like where they should advocate for you. All right, so what if we hadn't gotten the offer? Yeah, the job? Well, don't be discouraged. Oftentimes it's, it's, it's about alignment, right? Um, and just with unemployment the way it is, and even here at The Fool, how quickly we're growing, chances are another role will open up. As long as you've kind of gone through the process and done everything as you should, uh, there should be another role available. So don't be discouraged. It just takes one yes. Have you ever had to tell someone to just go away and know that they would not be getting a job here? Or, th- or in a previous job? Delicately, perhaps. Say, <laughs> so, like, this is a hard and permanent no. Yeah, well, we call everyone that comes on site. Mm-hmm. So whether you get the job or not, we, we are going to call you to give you the good or bad news. Uh, so, you know, those calls aren't always fun, but uh, <laughs> I, think, I think candidates appreciate the extra touch point and more than just sending an email, right? Kind of giving an explanation why, but... Yeah. Nobody I've had to say no forever to, so. No forever. Not yet, at least. So generally speaking, um, it is a tight labor market, and there are a lot of industries where people are in demand, right? Like being a developer, it's like, oh, just go learn how to code, and then you'll be able to find a job anywhere. Um, And so there might be some people listening thinking, okay, well, maybe I could change my role and learn something new. I don't know. What's your advice for people who maybe are looking to switch careers later on in life? Yeah, if you if you're interested, make the switch. Don't don't be afraid to to fully jump into it. Uh, we are in a position with the labor market now where you know going to a, a coding dojo or, or getting a you know a six month boot camp in coding should and and most likely will land you a job. Right. Uh, besides that, for there's 
external resources everywhere. There are companies that work specifically with with people, whether you've you know, been a stay-at-home mom for six years and you want to rejoin the workforce, uh, whether you're a veteran, there are companies littered out there that, that help support those folks. Um, yeah, you just, you just kind of have to go out and find them. Uh, what about other resources? I mean, we talked about LinkedIn a bit. There are tons of job boards out there. Are there some that are considered better than others, or are there just some more geared towards specific jobs than others? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, so LinkedIn has been super helpful for us at The Fool, but Which, they are um, a sponsor, and I swear that we did not pay her <laughs> to say that. <laughs> yeah. um, but there are also sources that we certainly use that are great as well. Things like Glassdoor and Indeed. You can also go directly to company pages, their their jobs pages, to um, apply. And then there are um, a number of kind of um, organizations that are a bit more specific and targeted. We work with Built in Colorado. Um, we have an office out in Lakewood, um, just outside of Denver, and we work with them um, to feature a lot of our job postings in um, in that region. So, kind of again, going back to Dan's point, like doing your research, connecting with local organizations that can help you um, get to where you want to be next. All right, prepare it. Your best and final piece of advice for landing a new job: persistence. Oh. That means they're going to send me emails to go out for coffee. <laughs> it's, 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 it only takes one yes, right? And I think oftentimes you get discouraged when, when you hear the no's. Just, just be persistent. I would say um, stay true to yourself. I think so many people view the kind of job interview process as a one-way street, but it is very much two-way. Um, and you want to make sure that when you ultimately join a company, you'll be happy and, and set up for success. Can I add one, just as someone who's yeah. occasionally helped with the hiring process? And this might be a little bit more focused on the fool, but so much of it is just cultural fit. Are you going to be a good fool? I mean, there have been situations where we have chosen people who are not as qualified as someone else, but we just knew that they were going to be a better fit for the fool, as opposed to the person who was uh, applying for a financial planner job, and she said that she didn't think people should pick individual stocks. Well, that was, you're not that, gonna thrive here. That was not a good fit in a lack of preparation. She realized it later. She sent in a follow-up email like, I'm thinking a little bit differently about how I phrased that <laughs> answer. But knowing the culture and knowing what that company is gonna value, I think is very important. Well, I know here at the Motley Fool we used to say cultural fit a lot. And I think that unfortunately results in a more homogenous workforce than you maybe would like, right? Like, Because cultural fit of the early days of The Fool would be a bunch of bros playing board games, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, do I have that wrong, Rick? In the early days, it was more foosball. I, I, Sorry, know. yeah, there we go. So, um, And so, I, I think in the future, it's more talking about cultural ad. And I think we've gotten better at understanding that we don't all need to be a bunch of foosball playing bros. Yeah. Some of my best friends are foosball playing bros. Apparently, <laughs> I could never make foosball work. It's just like the way those guys play, where they just like flick and the ball goes. Pew, you know, good reason to hire someone though, yeah, huh? Foosball yeah. skills. I, I'm glad that we kind of moved over to board games. I, I'm much stronger there. Yeah, uh, I've never played foosball at the fool. I'm just, We've as, got two as, a, as, a, as the official bro, I've never done it. Well, you know, there's bro with a capital B and then bro with a little case B. You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're saying. All right. All right, you guys, would you mind sticking around? Because I think it's time for you to have a job interview. Dun, dun, dun. No pressure, (laughs) but a little bit of pressure. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Okay. 
So as I talked about earlier on the show, some companies have weird questions that they ask in job interviews. And so I wanted to see how well you all do answering some of these funky little questions. So I don't know. Bro, would you like to go first? Just because? I would love it. Oh my gosh, I would love it. Bro, thank you so much for coming in, joining us here today. I was just wondering, if you were a kitchen appliance, which kitchen appliance would you be and why? Um... Also, sounds like we're on the dating game. Okay. Uh, a mixer, because I can take all kinds of separate things and make something great out of them. How's that? I like it. Thank you. Thank okay. You. Now, Rachel, can you tell me 10 things you could do with a pencil other than write? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you can unsuccessfully try to pick a lock. Um, you can erase, you can give your mom a gift of a pencil. (laughs) But only mothers. Only your mother. I'm going to need some more time on this one. (laughs) Okay, we'll come back to you on that one. Dan, what do you think of garden gnomes? Uh, Apparently this is a question you might get at Trader Joe's, so just so you know. Underrated. They're a dying breed. You don't see them quite as often as, as you do. Um, garden gnomes are great. Tell me more about why you think <laughs> garden gnomes are great. It's a good way to distract the rodents in your neighborhood. Um, They're it, famously afraid of garden gnomes. They are. They are. They are the scarecrow of suburbia, if you will. Um, they look great on your yard. They do look great. It gives your house a little bit more personality. I'm a lot a big, of class. A lot of, a lot class. of class. I'm a big garden gnome guy. Big, I could tell. I could tell the moment you walked in here. I said, "That's a big garden gnome." Nomer. Yeah, you said nomer. All right, Rick. Let's say you've been given an elephant. You can't give it away or sell it. What would you do with the elephant? I would feed it and pet it and name it George. (laughs) That is a classic. Classic. Everyone who's listening is like too young to get that one. (laughs) Um, what would I do with my elephant? Yeah, what are you going to do with this elephant? I think that uh, I would take it out for walks and um, and maybe uh, take it down to the playground to let the kids uh, you know, climb on it and slide down the trunk and all those things you want to do with an elephant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bro. Oh, more? <laughs> what would the name of your debut album be? My debut album? Just your Why debut album. Why couldn't I get album. that one? I have an answer for that one. That's I have right. a debut album. <laughs> My debut album. Um, you don't want to listen to this. That's what I've been being, especially if I'm singing. You don't want to listen to it. All right, Rachel. You have any more things you can do with pencils, or do you want another question? Let's let's get another one. All right. How about if I gave you forty thousand dollars to start a business, what would you start? Apparently, this is a question that HubSpot asks. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's I only forty thousand. Such a weird number, but. I would start a baking business, mostly because that's that's my passion, and I now know a mixer. (laughs) (laughs) Bread, cake, anything, any in particular? Uh, Cookies and bars, mostly, but depends on the occasion. Very nice. So, Dan, (laughs) if you're the CEO, what are the first three things you check about the business when you wake up? Uh, Revenue. Mm-hmm. Employee engagement. Mm. Oh, good. Stock price. 
Yeah, it ties into revenue. Though. I wish our listeners could see your face because you're saying it with just real scrunched up authority. Yeah. Luckily for us, I am not Tom Gardner. So, <laughs> all right, Rick. Last one. If you were a brand, what would your motto be? More of this. <laughs> more of this. Bigger, better, more. I don't know. What's Is that, that also a, your album name, by the way? <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Did we get the jobs? I don't know. <laughs> I'm really glad that we all have jobs already. We're going to get back to you. I appreciate you coming in, and uh, we'll be in touch. Let's lock you a thank you note. Yes. Yeah, I would recommend that. It's not going to hurt, but I'm not going out for coffee. You guys, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks thank you for, for having, having us. us. Well, that's the show. It's edited recruitingly by Rick Engdahl. Persistently. Persistently. Rejectedly. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back. I'll, I'll give you some time to ponder your questions if you want to think again about what your brand would be. I make you sound better. There that's you a, go. That is a good one. And it's very on brand. That's true. Uh, all right. So, like I said, the show is edited. Now it's edited on brandingly with Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. We always have a mailbag episode around the corner. So, send us your questions and we'll try to get to them. Also, take a moment and join the Facebook group. We have a private Facebook group called Motley Fool Podcast. You can just knock and be let in, and that's where we talk about. Motley Fool stuff. Why are you looking at me like this is the first time you've heard about this? I'm just looking at you, always admiring your professionalism and your way yeah. to keep saying the same thing over and over again. But and that scarf it, is also really nice. But make it sound so interesting. You got the job, okay? Like, you don't have to lay it on. Jeez. <laughs> All right. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.